When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know the galaxy in the Super Mario Galaxy logo is actually the Andromeda Galaxy? In 2020, Twitter user Comet Metal discovered the original picture of space used for the logo. Instead of making new art for it, Nintendo used a picture taken by Robert Gendler of the Andromeda Galaxy, the Milky Way's closest neighbor. One of the most loved aspects of Mario Galaxy ended up being the character of Rosalina. Adding a new character to the Mario lore was something the game's director, Yoshiaki Koizumi, was very passionate about. Since starting at Nintendo, Koizumi has always tried to add more story elements to the Zelda and Mario franchises, and he's often at odds with the series creator Shigeru Miyamoto. While Miyamoto calls for a minimalist story and focuses on the core gameplay, Koizumi, who studied film, wants to enrich the worlds with storytelling to create a memorable experience. In an interview with Wired, Koizumi discussed this clash with Miyamoto, saying, For a long time, it really felt like telling a story in a Mario game was something that wasn't allowed, but I felt in this case that the Loomers and Rosalina really needed a story to explain what they were doing out there and to give the players a deeper understanding of their presence. It was from this desire that Rosalina and her backstory were added to Super Mario Galaxy. Naturally, during development, Rosalina saw a number of revisions as the team tried to figure out the best way to incorporate the character and her story. Some ideas for the storybook were scrapped, but were reworked into the main game. Another interesting fact is that, at one point, Koizumi suggested he wanted the storybook to be sold as an actual children's book. Another thing that developed over time is Rosalina's appearance. We already covered some changes to Rosalina's design in an earlier video, but new information has come to light. Originally, Rosalina wasn't always going to dwarf Mario in size. When Nintendo EAD manager Hideki Kono saw Rosalina, he felt she should be taller. Speaking to Nintendo Dream, Kono recounted the experience, saying, when Mario Galaxy was in production, I offered my advice. I wanted to include Rosalina in Mario Kart, but her body type was very similar to other characters, so I asked them if they could make her a bit taller. I told them, after all, Nintendo might use Rosalina in other games in the future. Partly because of her height, Rosalina would become a heavyweight class racer when she debuted in Mario Kart Wii, separating her from the other characters and becoming the only female racer in that weight class in the game. When it became time to work on Super Mario Galaxy 2, Koizumi and Miyamoto would clash again. Despite being a numbered sequel to the first game, Galaxy 2 is not a continuation of the events from the first game, and instead retells the events of the first game. In an interview with Wired, when talking about the role of the story in Galaxy 2, Miyamoto stated, well, I put a stop to that at the beginning this time, and punched his fists in the air. Many reviews were disappointed by Galaxy 2's lack of story. But Koizumi and Miyamoto would find their balance seven years later with the release of Super Mario Odyssey for the Nintendo Switch, which featured more story elements than Galaxy 2. Within the E3 demo of Super Mario Galaxy, there were a number of differences from the final game. The Wii Remote originally had more functionality, being able to swipe away projectiles such as the fireballs that King Caliente shoots out. King Caliente's boss fight was reworked considerably, with the final game being a lot easier than the demo. In fact, when Mario Galaxy first began developing, 
development, the team experimented with using more motion and pointer controls to move Mario, using the still-in-development Wii Remote. However, they felt like it wouldn't be a Mario game if you're not controlling Mario moving around, so they went back to a more standard control scheme. Another difference in the game was the music that plays when Mario collects a power star. Originally, the game played an orchestrated rendition of the flagpole theme from Super Mario Brothers. The look of the toads was also different. In the demo, they had a star pattern on them, which was removed in the final game. Toads could also transform from bunnies, while in the final version, bunnies only transform into loomers. Speaking of music, the Toy Time Galaxy theme appears to be based on the track Mario Syndrome. This was an alternative dance remix of the Super Mario Bros. Overworld theme by Japanese act Bonus 21, which released as a 12-inch vinyl and cassette single in 1986. The Toy Time Galaxy theme features similar instrumentation and compositional choices as Mario Syndrome, though forego some of the 1986 song's dance elements. In the original Galaxy, there's an unused mushroom file. Bizarrely, removing the file will cause the game to crash instantly upon loading. This is because even though the file is technically unused, the game still checks for it. In the 3D All-Stars release, the mushroom file was removed and the error was fixed. For 3D All-Stars, Nintendo actually recompiled Galaxy's code for the Switch instead of emulating it. They also removed several pieces of unused data and files, and the Mii data, which was used in the Wii version. Some leftover data from Sunshine can be found in Super Mario Galaxy on the Wii, including a fruits boat, which, funnily enough, also went unused in Sunshine as well. Although there's plenty of unused functions in the game's code, programming for several enemies can be hacked back into the game. Parameters for boot contain a Goomba within it exist, meaning the player would have to kill two enemies instead of one. Boos can also hold Loomers, Toads, and even different types of stars besides the Power Stars. There's also a dummy NPC with two animations, which was likely used just for testing. And a character named Tico G is an elderly Luma who would have had some dialogue, but was removed. Several planets were also removed or altered during the game's development. Speaking to Nintendo Dream, Miyamoto remarked that since Super Mario Galaxy relied on having multiple planets, balancing the game was easier, as planets could be added or removed to make sections of the game longer or shorter as needed. The planetoid named Water Road Cave Planet is the low-polygon version of the Sand Spiral Galaxy. This suggests that instead of sand, the galaxy would have prominently featured water, but was changed. During early development, Super Mario Galaxy's levels were much darker. Since the game takes place in space, many of the game's skyboxes were darker or entirely black. Miyamoto asked the team to include blue skies so it wouldn't be too drastic of a change from other Mario titles. One idea that didn't come from Miyamoto, however, was the idea to add Luigi. The team at Tokyo added Luigi to the game during some experimentation. After seeing Luigi playable in the game, Miyamoto advised them to include the brother as a bonus for those who collected the game's 120 stars. The original Mario Galaxy released in 2007, but it took over a decade to be officially released in China on the Nvidia Shield. Having such a delayed release in China wasn't always the plan, however. In 2007, it was announced that an IQ version of the Wii was planned for sale in China in 2008, but the the console was later cancelled in the region. During this brief planning period, it seems Galaxy was fully localized for China. Evidence for this can be seen for the Nvidia Shield version of Galaxy, where IQ appears in the game's credits. Within this localization for the Chinese market, one line from Kamek was changed drastically. In English, Kamek tells Mario to enjoy his flight, while in the Chinese version, Kamek tells Mario to go to hell. Other boss characters in the Galaxy games have plenty of interesting secrets surrounding them. The Magikoopa Camella has a secret that's in all versions of the game. Camella's wand has a reflection effect on it, not seen on any other object in the game. If the player looks closely at the jewel on the end of it, they can see that the reflection's texture is actually the Nintendo GameCube logo. Within Galaxy 2's Throwback Galaxy, the player can fight the Whomp King. The boss actually has a special goofy face texture for when he's defeated, but because he's laying down on his front when he's beaten, it's impossible to 
to properly see the texture. One major villain also has an inconsistency across Galaxy 1 and 2. Bowser Jr.'s teeth in the first galaxy have two thangs instead of one. This is despite the official render of Bowser Jr. showing him with just one fang-like tooth. This mistake was fixed in Galaxy 2. For some reason, the Tarantox boss had its gender changed in the Spanish game. In most versions of Galaxy, the Tarantox is named some variation of Spider King, but in the Spanish release, the boss is called Reina Araña, which means Spider Queen. Another interesting boss name change appears in the English release. Baron Burr is called something along the lines of Ice King in most other regions. Although the English name may just be for the sake of alliteration, some believe it might be a nod to one of the earliest American vice presidents, Aaron Burr. The top maniac boss went through a fair amount of changes from when it was first shown. Not only was it said to appear in a different galaxy originally, it also had a different appearance, looking more similar to a regular spinning top enemy. Did you know? Yoshi's Island almost didn't have its colorful hand-drawn art style. While he was working on Super Mario World, Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto decided Yoshi should be the star of his own game. Past Yoshi titles failed to impress Miyamoto, so he decided to make his own Yoshi game instead. His initial demo used graphics similar to previous Mario games, but were then rejected by the marketing team at Nintendo. They told Miyamoto to try pre-rendered graphics like Donkey Kong Country, as Country had received acclaim for its visuals. Rather than following the marketing team's suggestions, Miyamoto instead redesigned the game to be even more cartoonish. And this redesign was approved, leading to the art style we see today. While the English version of Yoshi's Island is called Super Mario World 2, the original Japanese title is simply Super Mario Yoshi's Island. The name was changed in the West to capitalize on the success of Super Mario World. Yoshis could also eat the dolphins in the Japanese version of Super Mario World, but not in the international versions. This was presumably due to cultural differences. However, this was not true for the Game Boy Advance remake, as Yoshi could eat the dolphins in all versions of the game. In the German release of Yoshi's Island, the level Touch Fuzzy Get Dizzy was called Lustiges Spaurendrama, which abbreviates to LSD, possibly as a nod to the hallucinogenic effects of the fuzzies in the level. The extra level in World 6 has a segment where the player rides a series of moving platforms that spell out Yoshi's name. In the original Japanese version, though, it's written as Yasi. Bert the Bashful, the mid-boss of World 1, resembles a character named Obelix from the French comic series Asterix. Fittingly, Bert's name in the French version of Yoshi's Island is Gros Belixo, with Gros meaning fat and Belixo being an anagram of Obelix. In another international reference, the boss of World 3, Naval Piranha, is called Audrey in the German version of the game, alluding to the creature from the Little Shop of Horrors. Naval Piranha actually has another unique secret. When the player approaches the room, Naval Piranha can be seen in its unenlarged state. If timed right, the player can throw an egg and defeat it in one hit, surprising Kamek and allowing the player to bypass the entire fight. There's even a reference to this in Yoshi's Woolly World. Sneaking up on and hitting Naval Piranha with a yarn ball will trigger a similar cutscene, but the battle continues once it's over. And in World 4-1 of Yoshi's Island, there's a rock formation that resembles a topless woman. There's an easy-to-miss easter egg in the Jungle Hut level of Yoshi's story. Hitting the spiders with an egg in the uppermost hut affects the music that plays in the background. Each of the six spiders is essentially a trigger that changes which instruments are played. There's also a musical secret in the trial mode. If the level select screen is left to loop eight times, the elusive Totaka's song will play. Totaka's song is a 19-note melody by Nintendo sound designer Kazumi Totaka, and it's often hidden in Totaka's games. Yoshi's Story was the first game to give Yoshi an actual voice, which was provided by Kazumi Totaka himself. Totaka's voice clips were reused for all Yoshi appearances in later Yoshi games, Mario games, and Super Smash Bros. It wasn't until Super Mario Galaxy 2 that new voice clips were recorded, with Totaka reprising his role over a decade after the release of Yoshi's Story. The Yoshi series has a fair amount of unused content. In Yoshi's Island, there are three scrap transformations for Yoshi, an airplane, a mushroom, and a tree. There are several unused enemies, including a larger version of the Ukiki designed to resemble Donkey Kong. A red cannon that fires heat-seeking bullet pills also appears. And while never used in the original Yoshi's Island despite being fully functional, the red cannons did appear in the Game Boy Advance remake in World 6's secret level. There was a specifically made demo based on Yoshi's story that went unused. It was made to show off the graphical features of the Game Boy Advance when the system was unveiled, and the gameplay was changed from the N64 game as Yoshi could not throw eggs or use his tongue. 
In many Mario spin-off games, Yoshi is paired up with Birdo, sometimes as a couple. Birdo has a long history of controversy surrounding her gender, but Yoshi's gender is a subject of confusion as well. When the topic came up during an Awada Asks interview, Shigeru Miyamoto said, Sometimes people ask whether Yoshi is a boy or a girl. If I answer probably a boy, then they say, so a boy is laying eggs? But the moment I say Yoshi lays eggs so Yoshi must be a girl, they'll say, then Yoshi's voice needs to sound more like a girl's. But I want to make video games without having to worry about such background info. One curious part of Yoshi's anatomy is the saddle on his back. According to longtime Mario series designer Takashi Tezuka, Yoshi was originally supposed to be a type of Koopa. That saddle you see on his back was actually his shell. And for anyone who's wondered what Yoshi looks like without his shoes, he apparently has padded feet. This time, we're going to be covering everyone's favorite video game plumber that rarely does any plumbing, Mario. Up to this date, the amount of games that this little guy has starred in is now over 200, and so we won't be physically or mentally able to cover every single game he has been in. Instead, we'll be focusing mainly on his main series Mario titles, which I'm sure will be the ones that everyone recognizes and remembers the most. We have a lot of games to cover and a lot of secrets to find, so let's not waste any more time and jump straight in. Jumping into Super Mario Bros. 1 on the NES, let's get this one out of the way quickly. The clouds and the bushes actually use the same graphic. They're the same graphic with a different palette loaded into each object, and this was likely done to save space on the game's cartridge. If you walk a little further and hit the question block, a super mushroom will pop out. These mushrooms are actually based on real-life mushrooms called Amanita muscaria. Amanita muscaria are quite dangerous. When consumed, they can cause individuals to experience visual distortions that make it seem like objects around the individual are changing in size, or that they themselves are growing or shrinking. Amanita Muscaria are also thought to have influenced parts of Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And just as a side note here, the mushroom enemy Amanita from Super Mario RPG for the SNES are also named after this type of mushroom, possibly as a reference to their poisonous origin. There's also a little secret within the mushroom power-up sound effect. It's a very similar tune to what plays after jumping on a flagpole and finishing a level, only massively sped up. Here we've slowed the jingle down to 20% of its in-game speed. The jingle is missing the last sequence of notes from the level complete melody, but the overall chord progression is the same even though the arpeggiated notes are arranged differently. It's interesting that the slowed down sound effect has a melody that shares a thematic connection with the end of the level theme, even though nobody would ever notice it in normal gameplay. It's possible that this sound effect was literally a segment of the flagpole theme sped up in order to save space in a similar way to the cloud and bush graphics mentioned earlier. Speaking of the flagpoles, by using a glitch that's referred to by the fans as walking the turtle, it's possible to jump over the flag at the end of several levels in the game. The glitch involves trapping a Koopa Trooper in a pit and then following it and using its glitched state to double jump before hitting the flagpole. In World 3.3 specifically, you can easily jump over the flagpole without this Koopa Trooper glitch. Disappointingly, there's nothing behind the flagpoles besides infinitely looping space. One detail that a lot of people overlook is that the Bowsers in the castles of World 1 through 7 are just common enemies disguised as Bowser. You can actually reveal the disguise by killing Bowser with fireballs. These enemies are actually identified as false Bowsers, and Super Mario 3D Land for the 3DS features similarly disguised enemies pretending to be their leader by use of a raccoon leaf, in reference to the first NES Super Mario Bros. In order of appearance from Castle 1 to 7, the false Bowsers are a Goomba, a Green Koopa Trooper, a Buzzy Beetle, a Spiny, a Lakitu, a Blooper, and finally a Hammer Brother in disguise. And speaking of Hammer Brothers, if you encounter a Hammer Brother and wait for a while out of its range, it'll eventually start chasing you down. There's also a fairly famous glitch in the game referred to as the Minus World glitch. If you glitch yourself through the wall in World 1-2 and go down the first warp pipe, you'll end up at World Minus 1, the Minus World. It's an underwater level that's exactly like World 7-2 in design and enemy location. The Minus World is actually part of a larger existence of levels. Super Mario Bros. actually has 256 worlds, and every world past World 8 is a random glitched mess that pulls assets from other parts of the game. The Minus World itself is actually World 36 in the game. These extra worlds sparked a rumor in Japan where a lightning strike caused a Nintendo system to show a Mario level never seen before, thought to be a part of a secret World 9. Nintendo referenced these rumors by actually featuring a World 9 in Super Mario Bros. 2, known outside of Japan as the Lost Levels, which can be unlocked by beating the game's first eight worlds without using any warp zones. Worlds A, B, C, and D were also included, bringing the Lost Levels count of worlds up to 13, with a total of 52 stages. And as we go into the outside Japan version of Super Mario Bros. 2, let's go into some music trivia. Super Mario Bros. 2's title screen is a sort of jazzy remix of the underwater stage music from Super Mario Bros. 1.
likely, this remix of the underwater theme was added specifically to try and more closely tie in the game with the Mario franchise. Incidentally, another remix of the underwater theme was then used later for Super Mario Bros. 3's title screen as well. Perhaps the original game's underwater melody was a personal favourite of the development team, as it's often subtly referenced in other games like Melody the Piano playing Ghost in Luigi's Mansion, and even added into the Super Smash Bros. Melee arrangement of Rainbow Cruises theme. The original title screen theme for Super Mario Bros. 2's predecessor, Doki Doki Panic, was actually a quicker arrangement of what the American fans of this game will know as the ending credits theme to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. One pretty interesting thing about Super Mario Bros. 2 is that despite the red design being the iconic representation of the Sniffit enemies, even to the point of them being featured in the game's instruction manual, there was only a single red Sniffit in the whole game. It appears in World 3-3 falling off of ledges as it moves and changing its direction to face the player. And as another little side note to this, later during the N64 stage, 3D Sniffits introduced in Super Mario 64 would use this red colour for their basic design. Also in Mario 64, in the English version of the game, they are called Snuffits, but in the original Japanese version they do share exactly the same name, which actually means that the English name could have been a translation error. Speaking of enemies, the game's Fantos can actually be killed. It's only possible to defeat them with a combination of a stopwatch and a star. If you manage to freeze time, grab a star, then hit the Fanto, it'll die. Touching it while having a star but no stopwatch won't affect it. After destroying a Fanto, however, a new one will take its place if the player enters another room while still carrying a key. Interesting to note as well that despite Super Mario Bros. 2 being outfitted to become a Mario game when it wasn't inherently one in the first place, it's actually where many of the franchise's most recognisable enemies originate from. Were Doki Doki Panic not reconstructed into a Mario game, the likes of Shy Guys, Sniffits, Ninjis, Pidgeots, Bobombs, and even Birdo would not be added into the world of Mario. Looping back around to our mention of the credits, which features the Doki Doki Panic original theme as Mario is drifting away in his sleep, we're treated to a series of images showing each character's name. However, there's a few mistakes in the labelled enemies' names. Claw Grip is misspelled as Clawglip, Triclide is misspelled as Triclide, and Hoopster is misspelled as Hoopstar. Most notably, however, is that Ostro and Birdo's names were swapped on accident. This mistake carried over to the instruction booklet as well, but it's worth noting that two versions of the instruction manual exist, with one including an extra sentence saying, he thinks he is a girl and he spits eggs from his mouth. He'd rather be called Birdetta, clearly referencing the fact that the character's actual name is Birdo. The last thing worth noting about Super Mario Bros. 2 is that the 1989 animated series of the Super Mario Bros. Super Show actually featured a heavy amount of material in reference to Super Mario Bros. 2, including having Mario, Luigi, Toad and Princess Toadstool star as the four main characters, as well as the majority of henchmen characters being enemies derived from the game. However, Bowser, simply called King Koopa in the series, led an army of baddies comprised of a mix of Super Mario Bros. 1 and 2 characters. Mario 2 bosses Mouser and Triclide were amongst Bowser's right-hand men, despite them normally being underlings of the evil frog Wart. Wart has not actually appeared in any other major Mario games outside of remakes of Super Super Mario Bros. 2, such as Super Mario All-Stars and Super Mario Advance, but makes a cameo in NES Remix 2 for the Wii U as a minigame where you must quickly defeat him in his classic final boss battle. 
just before we wrap up part one of this video series, let's have a quick dive into the beginning of Super Mario Bros. 3. Super Mario Bros. 3's visual style is very reminiscent of a stage play. The platforms and environmental objects are all designed to look like set pieces, and the title screen even has a rising curtain and drapes over the left and right sides. Shigeru Miyamoto himself has confirmed that he considers the Mario characters to almost be like a troupe of actors that perform whatever tasks they're called upon, inspired by the cast of characters from his favourite childhood cartoons like Popeye. This is also his explanation as to why in one game Mario could be rescuing the princess from Bowser, while in another game they could all be playing sports and racing go-karts together. The stage play motif has actually been used in other Mario games in the series, like the Paper Mario series, and even most recently in Super Mario 3D World. The battle mode seen in the game's two-player mode is actually in reference to the original Mario Brothers arcade game, where Mario and Luigi must compete against each other in order to win. It even included some of the original enemies, like fighter flies and sidesteppers. And finally, the warp whistles that you can discover scattered throughout the first two worlds actually play a tune that the series composer Koji Kondo later recycles for the title screen theme in The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for the N64. Bowser's sub-bosses, the Koopalings, were originally designed after the Japanese development team, but were not given any distinct names in the Japanese release. They were just collectively referred to as the Seven Kakoopa. Then, upon the US release, the American localization team came up with names for them, each derived from musical artists. Iggy Pop, Morton Downey Jr., Lemmy Kilmeister of Motorhead, Roy Orbison, Wendy O. Williams, U2 drummer Larry Mullen Jr., and finally, Ludwig van Beethoven. Visual quirks such as Ludwig's hair and Morton's star-shaped mark might have been cute the localization team took to name each of them. These names were eventually adopted for the Koopaling characters in Japan as well. Worth pointing out as well is that the Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Mario World animated series that followed the Super Show also featured the seven Koopalings, known as the Koopa Kids at the time, but did not use their American-made names for the series as they were not created yet. Instead, the show creators at Deke Entertainment created their own unique names for the characters. Iggy and Lemmy became Hip and Hop, Wendy O became Cootie Pie, Morton Jr. became Big Mouth, Roy became Bully, Larry became Cheatsy, and Ludwig became Kooky. Defeating one of the Koopalings under certain circumstances actually unlocks some interesting dialogue from the kings of each world in the game. Several new power-ups were introduced in the form of suits that Mario or Luigi could wear. The king will mistakenly believe that Mario has been transformed into a frog if he is wearing the frog suit. He will believe Mario is an actual raccoon if he's wearing the tanuki suit. And if Mario is wearing the hammer suit, he'll ask to borrow Mario's clothes. The ghostly Boo enemies introduced in Super Mario Bros. 3 are based on the wife of Nintendo developer Takashi Tezuka. While she was normally viewed as a very shy and introverted person, she had an explosive temper that was triggered by the high amount of time Tezuka was spending at work. In reference to this unexpectedly scary change in emotions, the Boos were programmed in-game to normally be shy when in the player's line of sight, but then would turn scary and aggressive once you've turned your back on them. The Chain Chomp also has a terrifying personal story behind it. As a child, Shigeru Miyamoto was being chased by a neighbor's angry dog, but the dog's chain yanked it back and kept it from attacking him. The chains that are attached to the Chomps are in reference to this real-life incident from the creator's youth. Now, in Super Mario Bros. 3, if you let a Chain Chomp tug on its chain 49 times, it will actually break free. The Chain Chomps nearly first appeared in a Legend of Zelda game, but were saved for later and eventually made their first appearance in World 5 of Super Mario Bros. 3. On that note, a number of the world maps hold some interesting trivia. World 7, Pipe Maze, is comprised of three islands that are shaped like the classic green pipes, and World 3, Seaside, has a disconnected island where the castle lies on the far right side of the world map, in the shape of Japan. The castle is even located in a spot that would represent Kyoto, where Nintendo's headquarters are stationed. There was also the lesser-known World E from the Super Mario Advance 4 remake of Super Mario Bros. 3 for the Game Boy Advance, which features an island shaped like a lowercase e, in reference to the e-reader cards needed to access it. Lastly is a peculiarly placed Christian cross made of blocks in World 6-4. It's completely out of the way and can only be seen if you fly up to it with a P-Wing, since there's not enough surface to get a running start and fly with a normal leaf or tanuki suit item. Some fans might interpret it as a subliminal message, but it's most likely just a joke by the developers, similar to the pixelated naked woman made of blocks in Kirby's Dream Land 2.
And now we're going to jump into the world of 16-bit on the Super Nintendo with Super Mario World. Super Mario World led to the premiere of an important new staple character for the franchise, Yoshi the Dinosaur. Yoshi was a concept planned all the way back for the original Super Mario Brothers by Miyamoto himself, but the technical limitations prevented Mario from having an animal companion. Graphics designer Shigafumi Hino helped to design Yoshi for the first 16-bit Mario game on the Super Famicom, and interestingly enough, Yoshi was at one point going to be a type of friendly Koopa, as opposed to a dinosaur. This is why his saddle actually resembles that of a tiny Koopa shell. Also worth mentioning is that according to a 1993 Nintendo character guide, Yoshi's full name is T. Yoshisaw Muncher Koopas. One thing that's easy to be overlooked is that the seemingly random symbol on the mailbox of Yoshi's house is actually the logo for Japan's postal service. Another location near the start of the game, the Yellow Switch Palace on Yoshi's Island, is actually called Kappa Mountain. Kappas are mythological creatures that have bowl-like depressions on their heads that can hold water. Comparing the small cliff with grass and a pond in it as you climb up the mountain, it resembles that of a Kappa's head. As mentioned previously, the Koopalings were named after musicians by the Nintendo of America localization staff, and similarly, the new Triceratops-like enemies, Resna, found in the four fortresses of Dinosaur Land, are named after singer-songwriter Trent Resna. As expected, certain bits of text are changed between the English and Japanese releases of the game, such as Bowser's name being labelled as Koopa on his castle, but one particular Japanese cultural reference can still be subtly found in the game. The bonus stages found throughout the game where you must hit three blocks in a certain order to get an extra life confirm that you've hit the right block with a circle. In Japan, a circle is generally used as a symbol of confirmation, as opposed to a check mark. Super Mario World introduced several new enemies to the series that would stay for many games to come. One such enemy was the lava monster, Blarg, which players would recognize from the later stages of Vanilla Dome. That said, the Blargs actually make an appearance earlier in the game in a section of Vanilla Dome's first stage when Mario must run across a sinking platform. It's just not likely that you'll encounter one. Blargs later appeared with a heavy redesign in Yoshi's Island for Super Nintendo, and were meant to reappear in Super Mario 64 with their original Super Mario World designs, but were unfinished. A work-in-progress animation of a Blarg can be seen in Mario 64 through hacking. The game also has big boo enemies, which are generally thought to be impervious to attack unless you have something to throw at them. However, it is actually possible to kill the big boos without throwing objects. It can be done by sliding down the staircases directly into the big boos, or by using the feather cape power-up by gathering enough speed for a glide and then doing a slide attack along the ground right into it. One haunting area in Super Mario World is the Forest of Illusion. This area is quite an oddity, and not just because it's the only world that isn't named after any type of sweet. In the Japanese version of the game, this world is identified as Mayoi no Mori, which translates to the Forest of Becoming Lost, and can be interpreted as Lost Forest or Lost Woods. The Japanese title of the Lost Woods in the Legend of Zelda series is also called Mayoi no Mori. As Mario and Zelda games share connections in their creation, it's possible the names of these woodlands are in reference to each other. In the secret special world that is only unlockable after finding your way through Star Road, the map screen contains a couple of fun secrets. The symbol above the flashing word special is actually the Super Famicom symbol, with each color representing the four buttons on the Super Famicom controller. Also, if the player waits for two minutes on the map screen, letting the background music continue to play, it will eventually switch to a funky remix of the original Super Mario Bros. theme. And just before we wrap this episode up, let's have a quick dive into the next console up, the Nintendo 64, where we're going to be having a look at Super Mario 64. Super Mario 64 is notable for being the first Miyamoto-developed game to feature Charles Martinet as the voice of Mario, who had already been performing the character for trade shows with Nintendo's real-time animation system, as well as the first ever Mario game he starred in, Mario's Fundamentals. Martinet recorded a number of voice clips for the game, including several that were added to the American port of the game that fans will definitely recognize, such as the Hello! on the title screen, let's go upon choosing a level, and even Mario's sleep talking after the player leaves him idle for a few minutes. 1990. Ah, spaghetti. Ah, ravioli. Ah, right at the very start of the game, you can enter water in the castle courtyard to find a secret. Occasionally, when you jump up and down out of a shallow pool of any body of water in the game, a fish will actually splash out amidst the water particle effect. 
The Japanese version of Mario 64 also features a different painting for the third stage, Jolly Roger Bay, which is a picture of some bubbles with a blue rim. The American version changed this to a picture of the level's sunken ship, and then the bubble version of the picture was later used in all versions of Super Mario 64 DS. There is also a star in Jolly Roger Bay that was changed to being hidden inside of a box for the American version, as opposed to it just being simply left right out in the open. Again, Super Mario 64 DS sides with the Japanese version and leaves the star out in the open. As most people probably already know, Yoshi appears in the game upon collecting all 120 stars and blasting yourself to the top of the roof of Peach's Castle. In the Nintendo DS remake of Mario 64, which allows you to play as Luigi, Wario and Yoshi in addition to Mario, Yoshi appears at the beginning of the game on top of the castle roof, in reference to the original Nintendo 64 ending. Another bonus for completing the game with all 120 stars is a rematch with the racing penguin from Cool Cool Mountain. After not racing for so long, the penguin appears to be very fat, but is actually more difficult to defeat this time around. The new character, Mips, a rabbit found in the castle basement, is named after the Mips microprocessor inside the Nintendo 64, and actually stands for the microprocessor without interlocked pipeline stages. Mips the rabbit was used as a test dummy for early development of the game, but after growing to like him, the team kept him in in the final product as a way to earn bonus stars hidden within the castle itself. Upon catching Mips, he'll also make a reference to the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, proclaiming that he's late for a very important date. In order to save some space on the Nintendo 64 cartridge, the sound clip of Bowser laughing is actually sped up numerous times to produce the sound of the boo's laugh. A similar technique is used in a game heavily influenced by Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie, where certain characters' voice samples were recycled for other characters by speeding and pitching them up and down for different effects. Speaking of sounds, the theme from the endless staircase that repeats itself on the final floor of Peach's castle is actually a very clever musical trick called a shepherd's tone, in which it gives the illusion that the music is getting progressively higher and higher in pitch, but in reality is just looping, just like the endless staircase itself. When you finally conquer the staircase and can get to the final Bowser level, Bowser in the Sky, in the final section of the last stage you'll find a group of four pillars that feature some 8-bit styled carvings of Bowser shooting a fireball at Mario. This is thought to be a reference to their original battle on the NES, but it's also thought by some to be a premonition of the upcoming battle on the game. Lastly, the DS version of the game contains a whole host of different minigames. A throwback to The Legend of Zelda can be found when playing the minigame Loves Me, Loves Me Not. Winning this game three times in a row triggers the flute theme from The Legend of Zelda, which was also used in Super Mario Bros. 3 and at the title screen in The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. That took far longer than it needed to. There's also a Japanese re-release that could be considered an international edition of Mario 64, and in that it includes all of the changes made to the western version of the game. It also fixes the backwards long jump glitch and adds rumble pack support. This version is also notable for including a completely new easter egg. The secret was added to the press start screen. Pressing the Z button fills the background with tiled images of Mario's face. This is taken from the frame buffer, so the faces move alongside the modelled Mario face. And here we go, another generation jump up into the Nintendo GameCube with Super Mario Sunshine. Super Mario Sunshine is an interesting and unique case in that the game was inherently produced to be entirely in English. It features extensive character voiceover, more so compared to any other Mario game. Strangely, the original Japanese version of the game even features some unused lines performed by Charles Martinet as Mario and Toadsworth during the opening cutscene where Shadow Mario is first spotted by Princess Peach. I imagine you'll be spending a fair amount of time at the princess's side. Hmm, look like a Mario's gonna have to find a job. Trying to start a new career at... Despite this, the names of the locales featured in Mario Sunshine's Isle Delfino are all in Italian, likely in reference to Mario's nationality. Even Mario's racing rival, Il Piantissimo, shares this motif. Speaking of Il Piantissimo, once hacking to see the man beneath the mask is actually the running man from The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, yet another reference to the Zelda world. Also, in that same opening cutscene, Mario encounters Flood, a machine implied to be invented by Professor Egad, who was introduced in Luigi's Mansion as the creator 
creator of the Poltergust 3000. While Flood is inspecting Mario with its scanners, a reel of footage detailing Mario's most famous games is shown in the bottom left corner of the screen, while text flows by in the opposite corner to signify each game that the footage is referencing. Super Mario Kart and Mario Kart 64 both have a misspelling of the word cart as Kurt. The stage Serena Beach holds some interesting secrets right off the bat. The very first mission of the level, The Manta Storm, is a reference from the book version of Stephen King's The Shining, in which Dick Halloran notices a ghostly manta shape floating away over the hotel. It was paper thin, like a shadow, and then broke into smaller forms before turning into smoke and drifting away. Mario fights against the shadow of a manta ray near Serena Beach Hotel and splits it into smaller pieces by spraying water at it. Once the beach is cleared of the manta's gunk, you'll also notice that the courtyard is actually decorated like a GameCube controller, with the top of it facing out to the beach. One of the Pianta janitors inside the hotel says, all these ghosts are causing such trouble. They're everywhere. Why can't someone come along and suck them up with a vacuum? Which is clearly a small reference to Luigi's Mansion. Another interesting thing about Piantas is that their name means plant in Italian. In the Italian version of the game, they're called Palmens, a slight play on the Italian for palm trees. Most bizarrely, however, their name in the Japanese version is Monte, meaning mountain. The Piantas odd cone shape does seem to resemble that of a mountain. Lastly, the stage Noki Bay contains a very strange easter egg in the red coins in the bottle mission. A small rock formation at the bottom of the bottle shows a door that Mario can't enter. By glitching the camera around to see what's behind it, you'll find a small brown book that can't be collected. No one quite knows exactly what its purpose is, but since the bottle area's original background music was titled The Book in the Bottle, it's very possible the mission was originally to collect the book instead of the red coins. And with all of that out of the way, we're going to go up one step again into the world of Super Mario Galaxy. Super Mario Galaxy introduced a new item called Star Bits, which are based on a Japanese candy called Konpaito. The gratitude crystals from The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword are also based on these candies. Funnily, there's actually a formation of Star Bits hidden in the rolling Gizmo Galaxy stage in the shape of a blue rupee from Zelda. Additionally, if you collect 9,999 Star Bits in the game, all coconuts found throughout the game are transformed into watermelons. Another treat enjoyed in Japan, especially when playing watermelon smashing games on the beach. Similar to the blue rupee from Zelda made of Star Bits, there's actually a couple of other references to fellow Nintendo games scattered throughout Mario Galaxy's stages. A planetoid in the Space Junk Galaxy is shaped like Captain Olimar's ship, the Dolphin from the Pikmin series, and a planetoid in the Boy Base Galaxy is shaped like a Pokeball from the Pokemon series. Another interesting secret is that there's a hidden toy train in the Toy Time Galaxy. It serves no purpose whatsoever, and it was likely just put there for the fun of it by the developers. One last secret for Mario Galaxy is that the voice of the boss character made Burrows was provided by the game's level design director, Koichi Hayashida. And to wrap this entire thing up, we'll head on to the sequel of Super Mario Galaxy, well, Super Mario Galaxy 2. Super Mario Galaxy 2 reintroduced Yoshi as an important game mechanic. Once again, Mario's Dinosaur Pal was planned to appear in the first game in the series, but was saved for a later title, this time in order to keep the level design of Galaxy 1 more focused, since the spherical landforms and gravity shifts were completely new to any Mario game. Yoshi's house can be found in the World 1 stage, Sky Station Galaxy. If you select the first mission and go up to Yoshi's house, there will be a sign on the front that reads, Hello friend, please go around the back, Yoshi. But if you then quit the level and then select the third mission, the sign will then read the same message, but instead signed, Yoshi the Space Dragon. Yoshi wasn't the only classic Mario element that was brought back for the game, as a few stages directly reference other games in the series. Starshine Beach Galaxy contains many elements of Isle Delfino from Super Mario Sunshine, including piano. There's also the Twisty Trials Galaxy, which is an almost identical remake of the Secret of Rico Tower missions from Super Mario Sunshine. And of course, there's Throwback Galaxy, a replica of the Womp's Fortress stage from Super Mario 64. It even has a word-for-word -word recreation of King Womp's dialogue from his boss battle at the top of the fortress. The dialogue for Lubber changes when given certain situations. Playing the game early in the morning will make Lubber's speech bubble say, so sleepy. He also says to Mario, geez, it's kind of early, isn't it? I feel so sleepy. If you approach Lubber with exactly 77 power stars, he'll say, hey, you have 77 power stars. How lucky. Similarly, if you approach Lubber with 9,999 star bits, he'll say, what happens when you get 9,999 star bits? Something nice, I bet. 
And lastly, one of the more infamous and slightly creepy easter eggs in this game are a group of strange alien-like figures found in the Shiverburn galaxy. The cliffs in this area are pre-rendered, making it impossible to get closer to them, and the textures are labelled as Hell Valley Sky Tree, associated with the sky model Beyond Hell Valley Sky. A section of the Grand Master Galaxy also features this texture. These figures can't be reached by hacking either, as they're rendered at a fixed distance from the player. What's strange though is that the figures resemble a Kodama, a spirit from Japanese folklore said to live in certain trees trees on mountains, and chopping down a tree that houses a Kodama is said to bring bad luck. The figures do appear high up and share similar features with the Kodama, giving more weight to this idea. Straight off the bat in the game's introduction, the brothers fix a damaged clear pipe. A number of items and power-ups burst out of it, but amongst the items are a few 8-bit Luigi sprites. To celebrate the year of Luigi in 2013, Nintendo hid 8-bit sprites of Luigi all throughout the game. This includes almost every playable area in the game, which we'll show whenever we come across a Luigi sprite. Going a little further into the opening scenes, Bowser is depicted capturing the Sprixie princesses using bottles. Considering the Sprixies are literally called fairies in the original Japanese game, this seems to be a reference to the Zelda series, where players can capture fairies in bottles. The Sprixies themselves resemble the subcons from Super Mario Bros. 2, which is an underlying theme of the game. Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Toad have comparable abilities to what they possessed in Mario 2, and Toad's blue palette even matches the NES game, despite Toads often being represented as having red dots. And hey, one of the earliest of the in-game Luigi sprites is actually located before you even start the game. All you gotta do is load up the e-manual, and then you'll find him at the bottom of page 8. Then we can jump into the actual levels of the game, the first being located in level 1, Super Bell Hill. If you approach the Sprixie holding a pair of binoculars just after the level's halfway point, a Luigi sprite can be seen behind a fence towards the flagpole. The sprite can only be seen from this viewpoint, however, as it disappears if you get too close. By now you've probably encountered the Super Bell power-up that transforms characters into cats, the inspiration of which has some curious origins. While making the game, developers experimented with having Mario run on all fours like an animal. They also made it possible for Mario to run up walls, and found these mechanics to be novel and very fun. The the idea to make Mario a cat came later after the developers realised these limber abilities reminded them of felines. Moving on to the second level, Koopa Troopa Cave, a small Luigi sprite will sporadically emerge from the pipe on the level's overworld icon, and I literally waited for 10 minutes for him to appear here, it's very very hard to see. If you go into the level itself and rotate the camera at the very start, you'll see another Luigi sprite at the far right of the cliff. Waiting in this area for a few minutes until the timer hits 105 will reveal another secret Luigi sprite on top of the warp pipe. And if you were to stomp on the Koopa Trooper in this starting area as well, you can take his shell and go inside. This feature is a small reference to the blue shell power-up from New Super Mario Bros. Hopping into level 3, Mount Beanpole, there'll be a Sprixie with binoculars at the top of the tree near the starting point. If you approach the Sprixie and look up at the mountain, you'll see a Luigi sprite cast within one of the shadows. In World 1, level 4, Plessy's Plunging Falls, we meet Plessy. Plessy's name and design are in reference to both the prehistoric Plessiosaur and the Loch Ness Monster, as the Loch Ness Monster is sometimes referred to as Nessie. Plessy again shares similarities with Dory from Super Mario 64 who is also a plesiosaur and has a name based on the Loch Ness Monster's nickname, Nessie. The music in this level is also a cover of the music that appears in Mario 64's Rainbow Ride, TikTok Clock and Peach's Secret Slide levels. Nintendo didn't hide the Luigi sprite very well in Plessy's level, it can be easily seen straight after the first set of boosters. In the fifth level, Switch Scramble Circus, a Luigi sprite is sneakily placed on the reflection of the first spade-shaped mirror at the start of the level. And just before we wrap up World 1, we have a visit to Super Mario Galaxy's Captain Toad. The Captain Toad areas in this game were a sort of test to see if a full platform puzzle game in this style would be viable. The testing paid off and Captain Toad got his own game. Interestingly though, the Captain Toad concept was originally pitched as a standalone Zelda game. Anyway, onto World 1's castle stage, Bowser's high Highway showdown, multiple Luigi sprites can be found. When entering the castle, a shadowy Luigi sprite can be seen sitting atop the entranceway of the cutscene. Then, another Luigi sprite can be seen in the distance running through water just before the boss fight with Bowser himself. Before we cover World 2, we'll talk about the first of the game's luck houses. In a lucky house, a Super Mario Bros. 2 style slot machine will come into play, and fittingly, the Mario 2 character select theme plays inside the house. <laughs> the 
The secret we're here for, however, is the sneaky golden Luigi sprite that zips by with the shower of coins after you win a jackpot. For a side note as well, if you want to guarantee yourself a jackpot every time you enter these rooms, just hit the blocks in time with the music. Works absolutely every single time. The first level in World 2 is named Conkdor Canyon, after the game's new enemy, the Conkdor. There's a Luigi sprite in this area cleverly woven into the level itself. If you look through the Sprixie's binoculars near the checkpoint, you'll be able to see a mosaic Luigi sprite on the wall of the tower. Jumping into the second level, Puff Prod Peaks, a Luigi sprite can be seen at the start of the area by tapping the first touchstone platform on the gamepad. Our next stop is level 3, Shadow Play Alley. Right at the start of the level, scaling the wall with the Katsu reveals the shadow of a Luigi sprite that ducks in the top left corner. Moving a little bit further into the level, we'll find some potted piranha plants. The player can pick these pots up and use them as weapons, chomping at enemies and even getting green stars. The potted plants serve basically the same function in Mario Kart 8, and because the games were developed alongside each other, it's hard to say which team developed it first. That argument could be up for debate, however, as the potted piranha plant might be in reference to the Mario Party 3 minigame Storm Chasers, where players carry around piranha plants trying to collect rainwater. This same level appears in Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. Although Treasure Tracker came out after 3D World, the events of Treasure Tracker actually take place before that game. When Captain Toad grabs the green star in Shadow Play Alley, he's in the same place that he appears in in the 3D World level, meaning that the green star he gives to the player in 3D World is the same star that he collects in Treasure Tracker. Then onto level 4, Really Rolling Hills, there are two Luigis to find here. Before you reach the checkpoint flag, a Luigi can be seen attached to the giant rolling hill, and then when you reach the pipe to take you underground, wait there until about 100 seconds remains on your clock, and then a Luigi pops out of the warp pipe. The next level, Double Cherry Pass, features a Luigi hidden at the very end of the level, right on the far right fence. Also in Double Cherry Pass, we encounter the titular Double Cherry item. The developers have gone on record to say that they came up with this power-up by complete accident. A staff member accidentally placed two Marios in the same level during development and found that controlling them both at the same time worked surprisingly well. This isn't the first time a duplication power-up has featured in a Mario game, however. Mario and Luigi, partners in time, had the Copy Flower item, which duplicated the brothers many times over. Not only do the two items have a similar functionality, but they also have curiously similar designs as well. Finally, in Bowser's Bullet Bill Brigade, take a look at the tank tracks on the floor to find a blatant Luigi right there on the ground at the start of the level. On a side note, there are two mystery houses in the game where you're pitted against various enemies. The one in World 2 is named Mystery House Melee, and the one later in World Mushroom is named Mystery House Brawl, as references to the Super Smash Bros. series. Before we play the levels of World 3, another Hub World Luigi can be found here, but it's extremely hard to see. Find the warp pipe that takes you to the platform with a hidden one-up mushroom, and then while you're there, look out to the distance and you'll see him blurred in the ocean. Once we begin the stages though, skipping ahead to stage 2, Chain Link Charge, simply reach the checkpoint flag and destroy the signpost around there to reveal Luigi hiding behind it. After this, in level 3, Shifty Boo Mansion, this Luigi occurrence is much more different from any other occurrence in the game in that you have to complete a set task before he appears. To make Luigi appear here, you must be equipped with the Katsu and then find all 6 time extension clocks hidden around the level. Once you've done that, head for the flagpole and wait until 12 seconds on the clock remain. Once this happens, you'll see the Luigi's running through the gravestones in the background. It's also worth saying that you can collect a green star in this level by jumping through a painting, which is a possible reference to the level select method from Mario 64. In level 5, Pipeline Lagoon, there are three Luigis to actually find here. The first is at the very beginning of the level, where Luigi can be found yet again swimming in the water. Later on in the level, in the clear pipe before the checkpoint, if you're fast enough to reach it, you'll see Luigi blasting through the same pipe as you, but like I said, you have to be fast enough to see it. Finally, in one of the more random Luigi appearances that took me 11 level retries to see, you'll sometimes be able to see him in a random cheap cheap with his head in its mouth. In the next level, Mount Must Dash, this Luigi requires a lot of skill from the player. You have to reach the flagpole with 325 to 320 seconds remaining on the clock, which isn't as easy as you may think, and if you've done it correctly, you'll be able to see a little Luigi crossing the finish line before vanishing. This level is also a direct reference to Super Mario Kart. It bears similarities to Super Mario Kart's Mario Circuit and even uses a remixed version of that course's background music. Onto level 7, Switchboard Falls, a Luigi can be found above one of the waterfalls by using the binocular Sprixie. Finally, in the train stage, Bullet Bill Express, at the very end of the train, you should be able to see an extremely fast Luigi outrunning the Bullet Bill train in the background towards the far right.
As you enter World 4, there's another Luigi hidden in the hub world. If you enter the warp pipe that takes you to the higher platform, once the camera angle changes, you'll be able to see him ducking behind a rock. And then once we enter Stage 1, Ant Trooper Hill, there's another Luigi hidden right by the binoculars Brixie, who will disappear depending on the camera angle. Next, in Level 2, Piranha Creeper Creek, you'll be able to see a small ducking Luigi in the bottom right of the screen itself once you finish the level. A little strange since he's not actually part of the level, but whatever. Next up, in level 3, Beep Block Skyway, Luigi doesn't hide himself too much here by being visible scrolling across all the giant electronic screens throughout the level. While in level 4, Big Bounce Byway, Luigi hides a little too much in this one by hiding inside the cloud near the warp box at the ending portion of the level. Just ground pound it and he'll appear for a split second before the cloud reappears. As for a really freaky Luigi, one can be found in the next level, Spike's Lost City. In between the beginning of the stage and the checkpoint flag, where a few Galoombas are, you'll be able to see a Luigi creepily and devilishly hiding away in the vines over here. Lastly, in Lava Rock Lair, you'll be able to see this Luigi at the very top of the first bridge you see to grab a green star. But instead of opening the bridge down, you have to get up to the top of it while it's still up, which is a lot harder than it sounds. For a few more random hidden Luigis, throughout the game so far, you'll encounter many of a series staple of Mario games, the question block. In this game though, there's a small chance that a Luigi sprite will pop out of one when you bash it, but the chance is very small here. Also, whenever you come across a Sprixie house in the overworld to find a stamp, chase the birds away from the window to see another creepily hidden Luigi peering into the house before ducking away. Along with Sprixy houses, we can also find toad houses in the game, and these are nothing new to the Mario series. The toad houses in this game, however, have a callback to Super Mario Bros. 3, where they first appeared. The toad inside will ask the player to pick a box. Its contents will help you on your way. A direct quote from Mario 3. Before we start with World 5, it's also worth mentioning that whenever you enter a level featuring snow or confetti floating in the air, you should see many tiny Luigis amongst the sprites. This can also be seen in a particular room of a stage in World 5, which has this ball-guiding minigame, which also, on extremely rare occasions, will feature Luigi appearing on the actual ball itself. This took a lot of retries for me to see, though. Onto the other levels, though, the first one, known as Sunshine Seaside, shows a Luigi hiding on top of a tree if you use the binoculars. You'll also find one hiding behind a bush if you burn it after the Plessy set in the very same stage. At the very beginning of stage 2, Tricky Trapeze Theatre, an extremely obscured Luigi can be found at the bottom of some cloud pillars to the right hand side after you move the camera around. Pretty tricky to see. But then, skipping a bit to stage 4, Sprawling Savannah, it's possible to find two Luigis here. After reaching the large grassy area of this stage after a cannon blast, head for the bottom right of the stage to find a giant Luigi painted within the grass. Then, at the nearest binoculars, Brixie, look towards the top clear pipes on the mountain to find the second Luigi. Level 5, Bobombs Below, has a very easy Luigi to find. Just stand still once the level starts and wait for 70 in-game seconds. Then he'll come running across the bottom of the screen. Also in Bob-Bombs Below, there's a secret bonus area where the player will come across a blank platform. Running along it will light up pixels of a sprite, eventually revealing a full 8-bit sprite of Mario. When completed, a remix of the original Super Mario Bros. Overworld theme will play. World 5, there's also a bonus level called the Golden Express, where the player has to grab as many coins as possible. It's thought that this level is based off of the treasure ship from Super Mario Bros. 3. In World 6, another hub world Luigi can be found, but this time he's very hard to see. Walk towards the rainbow bridge that divides the clouds, and then turn the camera angle around so you can see down the gap, and Luigi can be found submerged in the distance. Then, the next submerged Luigi can be found in the first stage, Clear Pipe Cruise, where if you head to the pipe where you find the hidden stamp by jumping on top of the pipe, you'll see a very faint Luigi merged into the pipe itself. Following that is another submerged Luigi hidden in the second stage, Spooky Seasick Wreck, where one of the ships near the start of the level allows you to faintly see him peeking out under the decks of the ship itself. On level 3, Hands On Hall, look for the first gong in the stage and continuously hit it. After a while, a Luigi will then drop down. Then, at the very top of the roof of the same stage, head to the far right of it, tilt the camera around, and then you'll find another Luigi hidden behind a window. This level's Japanese name also translates as Touch, Mysterious Mechanism Castle, and is thought to be a reference to the Famicom game, The Mysterious Murasami Castle. In native Japanese, the level is called Tachi, Nazo no Karukuri-jo, where the Famicom game is Nazo na Murasami-jo. The game was actually developed by Nintendo EAD, and only released about two months after the original Legend of Zelda in Japan. Continuing with the theme of submerged Luigis, at the end of stage 4, Deep Jungle Drift, look towards the distance after changing the camera angle to see him ducking in the fog. 
Then, in the next stage, Typhu Flores, Luigi can be found hiding behind the fence of where you find the binocular Sprixie, much like in the following stage, Bullet Bill Base, where he's hiding on the Sprixie fence yet again. This level was also shown at the demo for E3 2013, where it was level 6-3 instead. Nintendo must have changed the map layout at some point as well, but the level itself isn't much different. The only changes seem to be the coin arrangements and different graphics for the trees. Now we're in World 6-7, Fuzzy Time Mine, or Fuzzy Flood Mine in Europe. In this level, you're chased by fuzzies, but not any old fuzzies, a fuzzy Horde. The same kind of fuzzy horde that was introduced in the Schwank Fortress area of Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. Finally, by burning a bush at the very end of Stage 7, you'll see another Luigi keeping out of sight. Heading off into the castle world, before hitting stage 1, head to the very bottom of the hub world. If you wait a while, you should be able to see a Luigi fading into the right-hand gated lava flow. Once you've found him, then head off into the first level, Fort Fire Brothers, where you have to defeat the Fire Brother at the ending part of the level to make this warp block appear. Once doing this, change the angle around to see Luigi hiding in a window in between the two towers. In a more creatively concealed Luigi, stage 2, Switch Black Ruins, features Luigi hiding on a wall where the stamp is hidden, but it can only be seen by touching the gamepad to light the wall. Then, in one of the hardest ones to see and one of the faintest ones to see, look for Luigi at the end of level 3, Red Hot Run, and you should see him at the very top of the volcano in the background. By account of the short time limit this stage has, and trying to keep still on the top of the clear pipe after the speed boost that you're running through, this was one of the hardest for me to capture. Level 4, Boiling Blue Bully Belt, is luckily much easier, since the spiked rollers in the stage have Luigi's printed all over them. And then a giant wall-painted Luigi is found on the next stage, Trick Trap Tower, right next to where the first green star is located. Then, in stage 6, Ramahead Reef, Luigi can be seen jumping on a distant rock right near the warp pipe after the checkpoint flag. Just change the camera angle again. Simmering Lava Lake, stage 7, has a Luigi right at the start on the left side of the barrier behind where the starting point of the level is. Lastly, in very similar fashion to World 1's castle, Bowser's Lava Lake Keep has a dark Luigi hiding on the very top of the castle entrance as soon as the cutscene for it starts playing. For another random bit of trivia, one strange reference, or perhaps just an example of laziness, is that Princess Peach's character icon is reused from a background asset in Mario Kart 7's Sherbert Rink Battle Track. The last two hub world Luigi's can be found on the next world, Bowser World. The first is hidden behind the wall near to where the hidden toad house on the top right of the hub world is, and then the last hub world Luigi is found riding the ferris wheel on the opposite side on the far left. An interesting detail about world Bowser is that you can perform a glitch on the clear pipe at the start of the world. The player will fall down past world castle and into world 3, showing how the worlds are physically stacked on top of each other in the same environment for the overworld. Then coming onto the stages, the first one, Spiky Spike Bridge. By adjusting the camera near the first warp box, Luigi is visible on the side of the ledge. Following onto stage 2, Plessy's Dune Downhill, another grass-printed Luigi similar to Sprawling Savannah is hidden on the left-hand side of the grass right after the ride with Plessy. Next up, stage 3, Cookie Cogworks. Grab the binoculars from the Sprixie near the checkpoint flag and look up on the left-hand wall to see Luigi printed again on the side of it. In the next stage, known as the Bowser Express, the very end of the train itself has a small Luigi printed on the side next to the Bowser face end of the train. And in level 4, Footlight Lane, another extremely occasional and rare happening Luigi may or may not appear on the first ever thwomp that you see in the stage. For me, it took about another 11 level retries, much like the Cheap Cheap Luigi much earlier in the game. Luckily, Deepwater Dungeon Stage 5 has a much easier Luigi to find. Make sure that you have the catsuit and work your way up to the top of the little castle wall to the right. Do the same thing across the next right-hand wall along and then head towards the camera, where a crouching Luigi is found behind a stone. Then, in one of the more unsettling Luigi appearances, Stage 6, A Beam in the Dark, has Luigi appearing at the first giant mirror you see. Wait for 100 seconds on the clock to start and then watch as a darkened Luigi fades and slides slowly towards the player in the mirror's reflection. In the same stage, you can also find Luigi at the very end of the level after you touch the flagpole with about 30-ish seconds on the clock remaining. After this, Luigi will appear in the moon in the background. This next Luigi in Stage 7, Grumblump Inferno, proved to be the most random Luigi I tried to find, with more than 20 level retries gone into finding him painted on the top of the second Grumblump you come across. It only happens sometimes, and for me, as I stated, it took many goes to see it. Finally, in the Great Tower of Bowserland, at the start of the stage, just hit the Bowsermobile a few times, and then another Luigi flies out towards the floor. Also worth noting that every time you hit the Bowsermobile in this stage, you'll also hear a Super Mario World sound effect.
now that you've beaten the first eight worlds of the game, returning to the title screen will show a Luigi sprite in the bottom corner. This sprite leads you to a remixed version of the Mario Brothers arcade game called Luigi Brothers, which was made in celebration of the year of Luigi. We're nearly there guys because now we're on the secret star world. One thing that's obvious about World Star is that it's Super Mario Galaxy inspired and even has star bits in the background. Another possible reference is that after Bowser is defeated, the Sprixies build a rocket that progresses the game and takes you to World Star, similar to how the rockets in Worlds 4 and 7 of Super Mario Bros. 2 help you progress. Jumping into level 1, Rainbow Run, to get the second green star in the level, the player can activate two torches using Fire Mario's fireballs. This will open a bonus area where the player has to fill in the pixels of an 8-bit sprite, which turns out to be Link from the original Legend of Zelda. When the sprite is completed, the iconic item received jingle from the Zelda series will play, followed by a remix of the Zelda Overworld theme. Level Star 2, Super Galaxy, is heavily based on the Super Mario Galaxy games. It even has Galaxy's Octumba enemies, and the Comet Observatory can be seen in the background. Just before the flagpole, Galaxy's Rosalina will be standing by. You can even touch her on the Wii U gamepad to bring up a force field around her. After beating the level, you'll unlock Rosalina as a playable character. And on the third stage, Rolling Ride Run, use the Sprixy binoculars to see Luigi hidden under the arch of the left wall on the highest tower of blocks. Then, probably the most difficult Luigi to find by pure skill, Stage 4, the Great Goal Pole, demands that you run as fast as possible to the very end of the stage where the never-ending falling blocks are stationed. After a lot of running, hoping that you have enough time to make it, you'll eventually see another Luigi at the very end of the road, but it's not easy. Playing as Toad is highly recommended to see this. Stage 5, Super Blockland, is a much easier story, as you just need to bomb a giant floor block near the checkpoint next to this small bridge of smaller blocks, and a Luigi will appear where the giant block used to be. Super Blockland is also a more direct nod to Super Mario 3D Land, as it has very simple geometry and a remix of 3D Land's overworld theme plays in the background. Stage 6, Honeycomb Starway, has a Luigi hidden within the upper right Honeycomb platform next to the ending warp box. Honeycomb Starway again has a reference to Galaxy. Its background music is a remixed version of the Gusty Garden Galaxy theme from Mario Galaxy. And for the last of the Star World, Stage 7, Gargantuan Grotto, has a very well-hidden Luigi concealed within the vines of the level's foreground, nearabouts where the first green star is located. From here on out, the worlds in the game feature remixed levels on previous worlds. A lot of the Luigi sprites are in the same places, so we won't be covering those as not to repeat ourselves. In World Mushroom 2, Spiky Mount Beanpole, we come to the game's last power-up, the Lucky Bell. It transforms Mario and company into a lucky cat, which has similar abilities to the statue leaf from Mario 3D Land, and the Tanuki suit from Mario Bros. 3. Performing a ground pound will cause the player to turn into a Manaki Nico statue, a figurine often believed to bring good luck. In terms of the other levels, there's only one more Luigi that we know about in the rest of the game that appears in the Flower World, Stage 9, known as Towering Sunshine Seaside. By climbing one of the trees on the left of the level and messing with the camera, you should be able to see the tallest Goomba Tower, where, if you look very closely, the final stage Luigi is seen above this tower on the very top of the stage. Now we enter the game's final level, Champion's Road. At the end of the level, the game spells out Thank You using clear pipes, similar to how Super Mario 3D Land's final level spelled out thank you using panels. Did you also know that Zelda's hair is absolutely bonkers if you play a pirated version of Ocarina of Time? Or that Pokemon games on the DS won't let pirates make progress at all? For a whole bunch of Nintendo piracy facts, check out the video on screen. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, I had a lot of fun with this one. I know we've got some good episodes coming up as well, so look forward to those. Going back and playing some of these N64 games, man, that controller be whack as fuck. I'm just saying, it's cool, but it's wacky. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.